Now, as you know, I, this service was, these sermons were planned yeah. in December. Yeah. And last week we looked at Reformation through fellowship. And I must admit, I did not think the Lord would take us the route of his divine body to the point where we had to take communion because we wanted to renew our vows of receiving his body. Amen. Was anybody here on last week? How we could recognize that we no longer wanted to walk in darkness, but receiving the life of God in Christ through his sacrifice meant that we, are, we can see now. We can see things a bit more clearly. And those of us that came to the altar and those that made an altar in our seats, we just hope that the Lord would use his life to let us see clearly. And the power of the Spirit will work in the purposes of God in our hearts truly. Now, I did not know that we would go that route. I thought when I wrote Fellowship back in 2022 that it would be like friends getting together, you know, the fellowship of brothers and sisters. I had no idea we would focus on the body of Christ. But apparently the Lord did because when, he got, when we got to week 23 after week 22, he already established that today's topic would be reformation through the blood of Christ. I can't make this stuff up, people. I wouldn't even have associated fellowship with the bread, although I can clearly see it now. But he's ordained that we talk about reformation through the blood of Christ. I mean, if you let the Lord plan, is this not speaking to anybody? If you, let, if you just let the Lord do what he does, he does it better than you could ever imagine. You're so uneasy about letting God do things. You know, you're so uneasy about it. You don't know how not to put your little grimy hands into it, you know. But when you let him, <laughs> when you let him do it, man, I tell you, he, he blows you. I'm like, what the? I'm like, is it every, is every, every pastor should do this. Every pastor should just let you plan out the year because, I mean, my God. I mean, my you. <laughs> In order to stand the, uh, to understand the importance of the blood of Christ, um, we need to understand blood. Okay, the blood of Christ is not just a figurative term. Um, it's it's not just symbolic. It was actually present. It existed on this earth. It touched the ground of this earth. Do you understand? It's not just a myth and a metaphor, it was present. Charles Spurgeon, who I'm gonna quote a lot of because he has done an excellent job on the exposition of the blood of Christ. He says, somehow the blood is a mysterious link between matter and spirit. We can see that. The blood of a human being or the blood of, of a creature sustains that creature fully. As long as there is living blood, blood that is being oxygenated, proteins that are moving, all right? For those of you that forgot high school biology, blood and the blood cells are created in the bone marrow, right? And then it is, is used by the body to carry oxygen and fuel to every other cell and organ of the body. You have seen that as long as people are on life support, when they have their blood being pumped in because their heart may not pump sufficiently, 
As long as that blood is oxygenated and pumping through that body, every organ can stay alive and function. But we know that that's not, that does not necessarily mean that the person is within that body. Yeah. Right? And we know in of ourselves that there is an intrinsic part of us, something that you cannot physically touch or see, that functions within this fleshly body. Where it's beyond our baser hormones and our instincts. But we have, like we talked about a couple months ago, general morality, where we understand that we should do things even if it does not benefit us or others. We are it doesn't benefit us, but it might benefit others. We are still inclined to pursue these things at our own detriment, putting ourselves and our life at risk that we might help somebody else. That goes against every known human physiological trait where we say, fight or fight, we we protect ourselves. Bump you, you was, oh well, that wolf gonna bite you today, you know, and you just move on. Nope, you say somebody need to help. Run, you know, you (laughs) grab a stick, I'm gonna hit him with a bat, you go, you know. And you put yourself in harm's way, you give more than you have, you volunteer more than you can, you offer more that you can do, and you know you are doing this against your own detriment. This is something and an example of something that goes beyond your physiology, yeah. Yeah. right? Some decision or choice that had to be made and it was not made in the hormones and chemistry of your brain. It was made somewhere within the soul, an intrinsic part. What Charles Spurgeon is talking about, he's saying is that this blood that flows, the physical blood that flows in our bodies is like a vessel used to hold and to carry the soul. That as the soul is life to the the intrinsic or spirit of man, that, that sustenance that keeps us us, and the blood is just keeping the shell of us alive, but we are placed into that shell as human beings, as creations of God. And he says it's a mystery how these two things, how the blood can be linked to something that is immaterial and true nonetheless, right? So I wanted us to look at the blood today More specifically, I wanted to look at how the blood of Christ transforms us and reforms us. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Mm, Better yet, before you go there, maybe you need further biblical understanding of the blood. We know it biologically, but God knew it even before we had microscopes. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Let's stop there. Or skip down to verse 14. When you're there, are you there? You see it? For it is the, let's back up to verse 13. Wherever, whatever man of the children of, (laughs) 
Whatever man of the children of Israel or the strangers who dwells among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, again, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Okay. So the, one of the first rules and to determine the sanctity that God sees in blood is first he says blood is, in the, li- is, the, is the life of, of the animal. And he says, I'm going to sanctify that and say that that blood can be used to cover your sins. That's a big deal. So that's the first thing. It's sanctified because God uses it to cover our sins. Then he goes on to say, so don't, don't eat the blood. It's for you. It's, it's for God. Mm-hmm. Right? And you, you know, making sure you don't drink the blood or eat the blood, but yet rather offering it to the Father is saying that you agree that life belongs to him and not to you. That's the first part, right? That, oh, my life is not my life. All life is yours. And you, and you pour out the blood and you don't eat it. He says, not only that, but I'm giving it to you that it might cover your sins because identifying that all life comes from me is the first step to having any form of repentance. First step, right? Acknowledging who he is as creator, first step, you got to have that. That begins covering some things, right? Then he goes on to say, now, when it comes to animals in general, don't eat their blood because their life is in it. Their life is in the blood, their blood. The sum total, physiologically, of who they are is within that liquid substance, Right. The hormones, what they ate that day, what they didn't eat, how they felt, who their parents were. All of that is wrapped up and can be found physiologically within their blood. So let's say you are addicted to sugar and you love sugar. This addiction to sugar may be emotionally spurred. Because you are an emotional eater. Hear me out. Y'all not helping me today. This means that you could have an emotional day. Y'all don't help me today. huh? Some intrinsic part of your life has been triggered. Y'all don't want to help me. Something non-tangible has happened to your non-tangible self. And now your blood begins to reveal that thing that has happened as you eat sugar compulsively. trying to show at the basic level how who you are in your soul begins to show up in your flesh. I was watching this man run on a treadmill, and I tell you, he was a specimen of God. He was running on the treadmill, and he made a quote. He said, you can tell a lot by a man that works out, since we talked about this on Wednesday. He said, a man that works out can forego instant gratification, he said, no man just pops out of the woman's belly fit and fine. He is dedicated. He pursues what he wants, right? 
He can continue to be steadfast and determined. You can tell a lot by any individual. Come on, Sister Leanne, and tell them. By anybody that actually continues. If you look at a person and they have muscle mass and physical health, you can tell a lot about their character. Nobody wanted to hear that. I'm like, that does it. Only person happy is Jewel and Leanne, y'all. <laughs> the rest of us like, really? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Nobody else is very excited about this. But you have to admit that a person at a certain age of adulthood that is still that is physically fit has made some strong choices and maintained them for a very long time. I don't pull my guns out. That's why, that's why I'm always pulling my guns out, okay? I'm trying to show you. I didn't used to have guns, okay? Did I have to, this took years, okay? To get this little bit of gun. Pew, pew. I wish I could tell you it took a couple of months. No, it did not. It took like four years of consistently working out and eating right. Like consistently. Now, I couldn't be a gym rat because I got stuff to do. So that means I could only do a little bit at a time. And that took four years of consistently doing a little bit at a time. Hello? You can tell a lot about a person and their character, their ability to have discipline, to forego instant gratification, yeah. to set goals and accomplish them, to not make excuses, to have control. You could tell a whole lot by their physical fitness. I'll just come back over here behind my podium. The daggers that you guys are getting. Not really, y'all like, no, I'm already working out. Look at you. Look at you from Wednesday night. What was that, Sunday or Wednesday? Whatever day. Wednesday? Look at y'all working out. Thursday and Wednesday, y'all like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Does Sunday count? I'm going to do praise and worship extra hard. <laughs> so it is apparent that we could see that how that individual or that animal made certain choices in their physical life we could see that show up in their body. Hello? Yeah. So the choices, the intrinsic, non-tangible choices that you make in your soul eventually will show up in your flesh. Good or bad. Self-serving and selfish or self-giving and sacrificing, it will show up in your flesh. The bad part about this is now all of a sudden we are in overwhelmingly aware of what we look like. What, am I, what is my body saying to people about who I am? He was like, you can't judge a man by the cover of their book. Mm. You can't judge them, but you can definitely evaluate them. God immediately tells the children of Israel, blood is 
is mysteriously related to the soul and to life. And so you just can't take the blood of an animal and just start drinking it. Number one, I gave it to atone or cover for your sins. And number two, you need to know off the top that the blood of that particular creature, that their life is within that blood, right? And we could see a testimony of who they were. We could see a y'all. We can see a testimony of who that person was and what they did by examining very closely their blood. We can tell you whether this sheep drank from this brook or that brook. We can tell you whether this cow had grass or no grass. All within the blood. If we examined your blood, we can all tell the decisions and choices you might have made throughout your entire life. Not only that, but genetically speaking, we could determine the types of decisions and choices your parents, grandparents, great-great-grandparents, great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, we could tell you all the decisions that everybody made and the experiences that they had. Scientists have proven and geneticists have proven that we could even determine through your DNA whether you lived during the time of the Great Depression. That events and traumatic events that happen to your soul end up showing up within the DNA as a record. For generations and generations of what happened. Ooh. Got tight in here. Just everybody breathe, okay, breathe. Because I'm sanctifying the blood. I want you to see it as a substance that holds life, one that records life and establishes life, symbolically, metaphorically, and then literally if you look at it physically. That's the connotation that he has with, with blood. So now let's look at uh, Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, Verses 22 through 24. Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. When you're there, say amen. amen. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Paul is talking to the Hebrew church, and he's telling them, when you come to receive the body and blood of Christ as, as a Christian, one that believes in Christ as the Savior, I want you to look at all that are present. You've come to a holy mountain, to the city of a living God, the living God. You've come to a heavenly Jerusalem and to a ton of angels, more than you could ever count. They're gathered in feasts and celebration 
and with them are the assembly of those who were firstborn of God. Then we have God himself who is judge of all. And then we have the spirits of the righteous men that have been made perfect. And you've also come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. He says, and then you come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. <clears throat> Paul is indicating that salvation of a soul is not a quiet spiritual event. You don't just walk in like and fall in the back. Like, hello, I'm here. Don't make a fuss. You walk in and everybody goes, yeah, hallelujah, glory. And all eyes are on you. It's important that you know that because somehow I think you walk around this earth thinking nobody is observing how you're living. And the idea that God sees has become very numbing and quiet. So let me just shake you back up for a second and say, what if it was a million eyes watching you and the choices that you make? What if it was a cloud of witnesses encouraging you to move forward in the things of God? You didn't come in quietly and sit in the back once now you're new saved. You came in and everybody went crazy. Now why? Why is all of heaven so excited about little old you? It's not that you're so beautiful or handsome, smart, intelligent, loving or kind but it has something more to do with the nature to which you came. You came to the blood sprinkled that speaks of better things than Abel. This is talking about the sacrificing of blood. He says, you came to that, to the sprinkling of the blood. Whose blood? Okay, fast forward. Jesus, okay? You came, to, you came to the sprinkling of Jesus' blood as a sacrifice. That's where you came. You said, mm, he's the Christ. Sprinkle, sprinkle me, okay? And he sprinkled you with a little blood, and you're like, what? And everybody's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. What is amazing about it is that within your lifespan, you and I have displeased God yeah. greatly yes, to the point that angel said, ooh. Oh my. Oh, 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 oh. Dear Lord, I don't know how to. Do they even know? Oh, God, I don't, they know. Oh, God, I don't. Okay. And to see you walk in the door, everybody's stunned. <gasps> Maybe not you. Y'all were really good people, okay? They were stunned when I walked in. They were like, oh, my, him. He has done. An amazing thing. She'd have made it in here. Look at this. Look at this. What is so powerful about this is that all of heaven is saying it's the power that's in his blood. Whose blood? The blood of the Christ. 
And they're saying, look at how the blood of the Christ got you to get up here. Y'all don't. It got you to get up here. It got you to walk your little dusty, ashy knee self. Amongst all these innumerable angels with their glorious wings and spectacular color, and here you come real, just real basic, hello. You ain't got no glorious colors. You ain't got no bright lights, no huge wings. You just, hello, everyone, real basic. And they're like, wow. The blood of Abel said something but the blood that you came to says even better i want us to look at that go to genesis chapter 4. genesis chapter 4 verse 10. when you're there say amen Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. And the Lord said to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. I should stop there. There is something that has happened. A crime has taken place. The first crime in the history of, Okay, there was sin, and now there's sin and crime. A murder has happened. And it would appear throughout Scripture that God in his infinite wisdom is showing that there are two types of people born of Adam and Eve. One, of Abel, pleasing to God, and two, of Cain not pleasing and this storyline threads throughout all of scripture so when we get to hebrews paul is saying that i want you to look at the righteous blood of abel so let's look at the crime that has happened in case you did not know cain and abel are the descendants the first kids of adam and eve the first sons all right cain and abel yes okay Cain offered to God a sacrifice, a fruit from the ground. Abel offered to him a sacrifice of of his firstborn sheep. Now, tradition goes that this type of sacrifice had been done in times past with Adam. And that on a certain day at a certain time of the year, that the men of Adam, men and women of Adam and Eve would come an offer of something to the father, right? Cain offers his, and Abel offers his. Tradition says that from there, fire from heaven would come and consume the offering. Fire came and consumed Abel's. No fire came to consume Cain's. It was apparent to all because there's a lot of folk at this point. That of the two oldest and eldest, something has gone awry. 
when given the opportunity of their first sacrifice as adults, Cain's was left wanting. How embarrassing. How humiliating. To be in the household of God, a very literal household. And for everybody to recognize that what you offered to God was not received. It was not quiet. It wasn't a secret. It was displayed before everybody. And the answer is no. The answer is, is I do not receive it. And thus, I'm rejecting the condition of the heart to which you gave it. So you just going to put me on blast like this? And God comes and has a, a specific conversation with Cain. He says, be careful, Cain. Why are you upset? If you did good, then your sacrifice would have been received. Y'all don't want to help me today. Now, this is the tricky part. Because every once in a while, I'll get a phone call. And it'd be of someone having a conversation. Come on and help me out. Okay, and they want to know, Pastor, did I do good or did I do bad? Now, sometimes I could tell them you did good. Most times I have to tell them you did bad. <laughs> Most times, because the only reason you're even calling me is because you really do think at some level you might be wrong because nobody calls the pastor to judge a situation if they didn't really, this is touchy, who? Because if you was right, like, I know I'm right. You just walk on. You didn't even think about it. I don't know what's wrong with you. Okay, this guy's definitely blue. You crazy. I'm going to move on. And you don't even care. But could anybody else think that I was wrong? Could anyone else, and what you're really upset about is, does the person who I think did me wrong, do they think that I'm wrong? <laughs> Come on now. That's what, like, do they, have, do they have a case, Pastor? Anybody been there yeah. on a phone call with me? Come on. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Every once in a while, I have to tell them, nah, you, you in fact was, was wrong. You were very wrong. Now, this point of a conversation with God is the single most important conversation you will ever have in your life. And you could have this conversation with him over and over and over because the results of this conversation will determine what we see show up in your life. Y'all don't want to help me today. We'll see it show up in the history of your blood. Y'all don't want to hear me today. We'll see it manifest. Well, I ain't do nothing wrong. Did God say you did something wrong? Well, so you say, but I don't feel that he did. Okay. All right, if I'm wrong, then that's great for you. But if I'm right, we'll what? We will see this again. We'll see it again. If I'm right, we'll see this again. I don't have to convince you that you was wrong. Just let it sit here. How you answer this question will determine your next actions as it relates to that person, that offense, 
If you have any coping mechanisms for this, we'll determine whether we're going to see those, any bad habits, any addictions, any, any lust of the flesh. We're getting ready to see everything. Y'all don't want to help me. That your life begins to produce from out of you. We can test it all as it runs through the kidneys of your decision making. It's an important conversation. And I, I often try to convince people now. They get real mad when I tell them you was wrong. I never talked to somebody and it went very well instantly. It always goes, oh! Sometimes I say, watch your tone. Watch your tone. Now, remind you, you asked me. I did not call you and say, hey, what you doing? You called me because apparently within you, you think I might be a fair judge of these types of things. So now I'm going to need you to heed my call. I called it. You was wrong. Now, Cain had a decision that after he did wrong, and then after everybody saw he did wrong, and then after God told him he did wrong, here comes the hardest part because all of this is stacking on. You understand? I know I did wrong. I know everybody saw that I did wrong. And now God Almighty is saying I did wrong. I just want to give up. I just want to run away. I just want to stop it all. That's a lot of pressure for one soul to handle. In most cases, the conversation always goes to some form of giving up, some form of stopping, some form of walking away. It inevitably goes to that because the pressure of dealing with how wrong this situation is and how it came from you. Y'all don't want to help me today. This the part you don't like. It didn't come from the Satan. Nope, 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 nope. It didn't come from Abel. Nope, 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 nope. It didn't come from your daddy, your mama, your friends. Overall, this thing came from you. How you processed your past. How, you, how your kidneys dealt with your trauma. It came from you. Well, I was born with a bad kidney. Okay. Well, the poison that is now in your bloodstream still came from you. And the part of you that would filter it out has not been regenerated. And this is odd considering the blood is designed to regenerate every cell of the body. Y'all don't want to help me today. So now we don't have a problem with your kidney. We don't have a problem with your lust. We don't have a problem with your attitude. We, don't ha we have a problem with the blood that is not cycling through to restore the cells of the part of you that is wounded, to restore the cells of the part of you that is broken. And now it's showing up. And every fiber of your being. Good. The blood has regenerative powers physically. It is produced from the marrow deep within the bone of a man. 
those cells are operating fully, then it can go to every weak cell in the body and assist in its regeneration until the day that God brings you home. But if there's some other autoimmune disease, if there's some other toxin flowing in your body that begins to lash out against the way God designed you, we have to do something different about the kidney? No. About the heart? No. We have to do something different about the blood. got to do something different. You got to start there. If we repair your heart, but your blood is still not producing what is necessary, does the repair on the heart remain? Huh? If we repair your lungs, get you a new lung, and the part of your blood has not been restored and regenerating, does the function of your lungs remain? Your newfound healing of your lungs? Okay, so let me understand this correctly. You could come and get healing and deliverance from a particular part within your body. But if you have not adjusted and changed the blood and life of that thing, even that in itself will begin to slowly go back to the same condition it was in prior to the heart transplant, prior to the kidney transplant, prior Pastor, I feel like I'm delivered. I agree. From that thing, you have been healed. But if we're going to address your blood that is produced from you, and if the blood is wrong, that means you consistently produce something that is not beneficial. Then we have to introduce something else to your bloodstream. Y'all don't want to. Okay, 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 okay. Let's, let's, let's catch up. Let's get back to more scripture. Less biology. So when we look at Abel and Cain, Charles Spurgeon said something that made me think hard he was looking at the story of Cain and Abel and he said when it came to Cain Cain was saying to himself and to others I'm ready to confess that the mercies which we receive from the soil are the gift of God but I am not ready to acknowledge that I am a guilty sinner deserving God's wrath therefore said he I will bring nothing but the fruit of the ground. Cain's offering says, I agree, God, that my blessings come from you. I agree, God, that you sustain the breath in my lungs. Come, y'all don't want to help me. And I have no problem identifying that it is from you that anything good does come to mankind. But I am not ready to admit to you that I have sinned and that you are the only one that can heal me of that. I'm not ready to acknowledge that. See, the real issue when it comes, you say, I never felt like that. We all have felt like that. We all have gotten caught up in some type of sin that it was in our bloodstream 
so to speak. Everything we try to decide always put us back over there and not over here. It's like as if I know what I'm supposed to do, but every, when it shows up, I'm back over here on the left. And we know that the problem is uniquely in us. And when we try to use our willpower to change it, we can't change it. We try to, we try to use our, our habits and we can't change it. We try to use our family as, 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 as fuel for this change and it don't last, right? And then we can't, then we start thinking, help me if you've ever been there. Well, maybe, maybe the idea that this is wrong, that's wrong. Maybe, maybe the idea that this is wrong is wrong and, and, and there are other people out here who say that sometimes it's not wrong. Yeah. Let me find these scriptures. Let me look at it from their perspective. And if that doesn't work, then you know what? Really, honestly, God, how are you going to make me weak and frail and capable of sin? And then you want to get mad at me for sinning? Don't act like you ain't never had that thought. Like you, you. You know, I didn't, I didn't make myself like this. You, I, I came born in sin, shaped in iniquity. I came out like this. And now you want to tell me that if somehow I'm wrong for sinning? I'm not ready to serve a God like that. That was the heart of Cain. The blessings come for you, but you want me to come to you and tell you I've done wrong? And I'm wrong? For what? I didn't ask to be here, and I certainly didn't ask to be out here like this. So I'll acknowledge that you are due me going to church. I will acknowledge that you are due of my tithes. I acknowledge that sometimes you are due of prayer and thanksgiving. But in terms of me telling you that the very essence of who I am is somehow flawed at a core level and that you are the only one to fix it, that's stupid. And I'm not doing it. Two types of people. Abel said, mm. Cain, I see you, you brought that, that fruit, but I personally feel that every fiber of me is wrong. That there is something flowing in me that should not be. Knowing who God is, I identify all of my sins, mine, nobody else's. And I give this offering and sacrifice and the blood of this animal in order to say that I hope and believe in the Christ that is to come. Charles Spurgeon said that Abel's gift was offered with faith in the gospel. Wow. I was like, Charles, <laughs> Mr. Spurgeon. <laughs> You took a lot of liberties in this narrative of Cain and Abel. Did a lot of stretching over here with some of the conversations you think they might have had. Are you also stretching in the idea that Abel offered his sacrifice of this sheep in full faith of the Christ and the Messiah? Charles Spurgeon said, absolutely I am, and you need to do better study. And I said, yes, sir. 
apparently I've missed something. At the very core level of Adam and Eve, is it possible that Jesus the Messiah was preached then? That it wasn't later with the prophets. It wasn't later with John the Baptist. But from day one, the idea of a Messiah was already known to them. Now, I see Moses seeing the back of God, and I could say that that's probably Jesus' back with stripes and blood dripping down. But what if it was before then, before Moses, before Jacob, before Joseph, before Isaac, before Abraham, before Melchizedek, before Noah, before Shem, before him? What if it was before all of them that Christ was known to Adam and Eve and to their descendants? Let's, let's take a some let's see what Jesus might have said. John 5 and 46 says, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. What did Moses write? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. story started really with Isaac and we could see how Isaac was the lamb and truly that too is symbolic because Isaac was laid to be the altar and sacrifice but what God provided was a ram and not a lamb the lamb shows up later what God provided was a ram Go to Luke chapter 24. Little, little theology in your life. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. When you're there, say amen. All right, I'll wait. Nobody said amen. Luke 24, verse, starting at verse 44. Amen? Somebody, amen. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is Jesus speaking, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that for and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all generations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus said, I have been preached from Genesis. I was like, well, where? In Genesis. I see a lot of stories that point to you. But there's one part of the gospel that is shown from the very beginning of the fall. As a matter of fact, theologians call it the proto Evangelium, the first and the beginning of evangelism. Do you want to know where it is? Genesis chapter 3. I love it when you guys are engaged, writing so studiously. 
Some of you young people, you got good memories. You don't have to write the scripture down. You know, you'll remember it. Old folks is over here like Genesis 3 and 15. Because what a shame to me in the need of truth. And you got to start from the beginning rather than that initial study was already given to you. Mm. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Are you there? Say amen. amen. This is after the fall. God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Who is he talking to? The, 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 the serpent at this point. Let's, let's, oh, God, let's go back in context. Let me, I thought we could just jump right in. We cannot just jump right in. My bad. My bad, children. My bad. Okay. Genesis chapter 3. All right. We started at verse 15, right? All right. He's giving out curses after the fall. Okay. The first one is to the serpent. Then he talks to Eve. Then he talks to Adam. Okay. But the first is the serpent. And that's what we're picking up. Okay. So at verse 14 says, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, <clears throat> you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's stop right there. Now, many commentators have tried to prove that this particular verse, verse 15, reflects the victory of Christ. This is true. Christ did win. But to the hearers of this verse, it would not emphasize victory, but rather struggle. To the hearers of this verse, to say that you encountered a serpent, right? And you decided the serpent that has been cursed to be on the ground eating dust, a real serpent, okay, snake. And you decide when you see this snake for all that he has done to take your foot and to step on the snake. Now, Tell me, where should you not step on a serpent? Why? Because he will bite what? Your if you stop, if you, you see, you think this serpent going to let your big old size 13 come and crush their head without opening their mouth and bite. There is a struggle that is happening in this verse. There's a struggle where the seed born of, of woman will fight and just try to destroy the serpent. Now, if my heel crushed your head, what I got to know is did you bite me? And since there's a bruise, y'all don't want to help me here today, it would indicate that there must have been some struggle between the two of us. A fight, a full-blown fight. His head was bruised, your heel was bruised. Am I right? Did I read that right? His head was crushed, 
His head was crushed. I thought so. His head was crushed and your heel was bruised. And there, there, there was a bite here. But it didn't lead to death. The serpent we see died. The heel of this man born of this woman is all we know about. Hello? Yeah. The very heel of him. So this would indicate that there was a struggle and would show that the Christ himself would suffer at least a bruise. At least a bruise. Not only that, but this scripture begins to say and tell us that it was the seed of the woman indicating that it would be a virgin birth because there is no seed of the man. And everyone knows that when the Bible talks about the seed, it talks about the seed of a man. Y'all don't wanna help me today. It's the seed of man, it's the seed of man, it's the seed of man. But now we have a seed with no man. Come on, y'all don't wanna help me today. There is a virgin birth and a suffering Christ. A virgin birth and a suffering Christ was preached as salvation from the day of the fall. Y'all don't want to help me today. So when Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve are participating in sacrifices after being kicked out of the garden, and now they're bringing sacrifices to an opportunity to have to be in the presence of God, Abel is saying, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that the Christ is coming, and I'm giving this sacrifice of blood because I believe that there is one to come that will redeem all mankind from the bite and the sting. Of death. Abide in the sting of death. Cain says, It is enough that I just survive this life. And I thank God for helping me to survive this life. But Abel says, I live this life as a testimony that Christ will come that the suffering servant will show to destroy the curse. Because he offered this, Cain slew him. The first martyr for the cause of Christ. The first form of persecution for the cause of Christ. You can't be willing to surrender the life you have. Your sheep represent your fullness, your fatness, your provision for the rest of your life. And you're gonna take the very first one you get that is great. And you're gonna offer it up, destroy, kill his blood and then offer the blood to, to the savior. And then everything else goes to him and not to yourself. You are a fool. It is good that I just worry about trying to get through this life. And I acknowledge God and all that he has done. And Abel says, no. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I acknowledge that I have fallen from grace. And it is my hope that the Redeemer will see this offering of life as me saying, my life is in your hands. And because of this profession, 
he was slain. In cold blood. Imagine what the angels in heaven are thinking. Oh, my, you, God. Look who has arrived here. Abel has just walked through the gates of heaven, drenched in blood. By whom? Some enemy and foe? Some thief or robber? Some wolf? By his brother. <gasps> this is too much. All of heaven, this is too much. First you give him a garden. You give him dominion over everything. You set him up all sweet and nice. Then they get in cahoots with Satan. They try to be on their own, independent of you. Then you tell them that you're going to receive them and save them. And then they don't even want to listen. And the one that wants to listen, they go and kill the one, his own brother in the same household. Raised by the same mother and father. Lures him into a place of comfort. And then kills him in cold blood. If it wasn't a place of comfort, I'm sure Abel would have armed himself. You snuck him. It's a sneak attack. Because, you know, so he grabbed a rock, took him out in the field. When he wasn't looking, popped him beside his head. But nevertheless, what is mankind doing? What are, what are these humans doing? They've fallen, gotten kicked out. On a day they're supposed to be offering sacrifice to you, somebody decides not to offer the appropriate sacrifice. Out of, out, of, out of selfishness. And then they kill each other. And the blood of Abel is hitting the ground. And God says, I hear the cries of Abel's blood. As the first martyr, the book of Revelation tells us that they are crying revenge. Venge us, revenge us. Give us vengeance. Because we trusted in you. We believed that you what you said. And we were still removed by their evil hands. Give us vengeance. And for years, the blood of Abel is crying out for vengeance against God's enemies. Now, let's look at something here. In the curse, there was the indicating that the serpent had the ability to bruise the heel. Yeah. Maybe to bite, I don't know. But it definitely got there, right? Some struggle took place. When a snake bites you, there are two types of venomous snakes. There's the viperidae and the elipidae. The viperidae <laughs> and the elipidae. The viperidae is where we get the word viper. It includes vipers and adders and rattlesnakes whose venom are generally hemotoxic. They're what? Come on, nurses and doctors. 
They are hemo, hemo coming from the word and toxic coming from toxic. We get that some, <laughs> this is for the rest of us that are not in that field. Toxic, toxic. We got answers too. <laughs> Y'all ain't the only ones that know stuff. <laughs> One type of snake is hemotoxic. That means it's venom attacks the bloodstream of its prey, causing the blood to not, or in so, to sometimes coagulate, and sometimes to not coagulate. But it, that means to get, like, to get stick, thick and cloggy. You need it in a cut, Co coagulate your blood. Stop bleeding, okay? Everybody put some pressure on it, get the cells working together, and everybody get thick blood and just and make it really hard to just keep coming out. In other cases, it makes the blood too thin. And so every time you press the cells and the tissue together to work together, it doesn't, it doesn't get sticky or gluey enough so the person could bleed out from that wound. But this particular type of snake attacks the blood. The other type of snake, I know you guys are wanting, are neurotoxic. Hmm? It attacks the brain, the nerves and the brain. It says to your body, I know you want to do something. <laughs> I know you wish you could be capable of doing something. But I'm going to make sure that the signals of the desire to move never get to your body and you lie like dead. You lie stiff. You lie as if you are dead to sin completely. Paul says, oh, there's a war in my members. The thing that I will to do is not the thing that I do. The thing that I don't want to do is the thing that I do. Oh, what man or man who can save me? One sin, one snipe, one bite of this snake, it attacks how you live and process. The other attacks you and you start to fight within. Desiring something, but not able to perform it. Your muscles go limp, sometimes rigid and stiff, and you lie narcos, like dead. And in some cases, limbs begin to die, yeah. to get all necrotic or whatever, to, and they start to fall off. And now you got dead skin and dead things attached as the venom itself begins to move through your bloodstream throughout the rest of your body, causing muscles to stiffen and to die. It's interesting that at the fall of man, God is indicating that salvation needs to happen with a serpent that has infiltrated the actual life of man, not his flesh. The bite, the venom, the toxin, it's inside of my creation. 
is not outside of them. It is now being produced and reproduced. And so the thoughts keep leading to more thoughts. And the pain leads to more pain. And the suffering leads to more suffering. And the anger leads to more anger. And the frustration leads to more suffering. Now, what is to be bringing life to them the way I created it is constantly bringing more death. We need a, a anti-venom. We, we need some, some sort of intravenous supply of something that could start to push out the toxins and fight against the poison and get this serpent's venom out of my bloodstream. I don't know if I can get a blood transfusion, but I need something. And I was looking at venom, anti-venom. What if I told you that anti-venom comes from animals that have the antibody that is resistant to certain serpents. Certain serpents are known to be in certain regions. And thus, the animals within that region develop antibodies that make them resistant to the serpent's bite. Now, what if I told you that the anti-venom of snakes exists in sheep? exist in sheep other cattle as well but for our purposes sheep that you could take the blood of a lamb y'all don't want to help me today you could take the blood of a lamb and you can pull out life from that blood and you can take that life and you can put it in the life of a dying thing and that antibody will begin to fight against the movement of satan will begin to establish strength in the body and remove all sin and disease What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. I need a lamb. A sheep led to the slaughter. Whose blood is life. And that life is to do the will of the Father. And then Christ, having already agreed from the foundations of the earth to be the first, the anti-venom was present before the venom. Cain. The solution to the idea that you were born not enough and insufficient in the eyes of God. The solution was brought forth by God before your insufficiency arrived. If you want to judge the heart of God, 
if you're trying to claim that somehow he is unjust and unrighteous to judge you of something that you can't seem to control, but yet also he provided a way of escape. He provided an anti-venom. He had a solution and a healing for every disease before you even saw your disease manifest. All you got to do is look to the cross. All you got to do is look to the cross. All you got to do is look to the cross. And be healed. Just look to the cross and be healed. The gospel was preached. And the suffering servant was seen in Genesis at the fall of man. The prophets spoke of this redeemer that would heal man of their sin sick sickness that will establish them to be able to remain in the presence of God now think about this Adam and Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel Adam and Eve were very aware of how they used to be able to stay in the presence of God all the time and now they're not in the garden representing the presence of God. Telling their sons, dear sons, we've done something that has caused us to now become the enemies of God. But listen, he never wanted us to be his enemy. And from the day that happened, he's promised us that one day he will reunite us because he saw that we were deceived. That Satan who was fighting against us was smarter than what we had matured to. And if we had only listened to God, we would have been saved, but we didn't. The circumstances of this world that we were placed in used the vulnerability of our naiveness and caused us to further sin where the iniquity and the questioning of God of our hearts was already present. And then we acted on it. Now you, dear sons, are now dealing with the struggles that come from that. But be of good courage. Because God desires that we should all be reunited with him. Yeah. Resist the enemy and he will flee. Offer to the Father your true heart of life and love surrender all to him withholding nothing because he promises a redeemer this was the gospel that they heard this was the, what they were supposed to do this was what was preached to Israel to Abraham Isaac Jacob Joshua Joseph got him out of order but you understand this is what was preached Everybody looking for this anti-venom, this Messiah that will purge the life of man, not just cover his actions, but go into the parts, the deepest parts of their bones and put in them something that produces more life rather than the things that produce more death. Let's, let's look at that. 
couple more things and then we're going to go for today. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. When you're there, say amen. amen. Great. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to us. Talking to the leaders of the churches and the flocks of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with what? With his own blood. When Christ hung upon a tree and that blood and water dripped from his body, this was how he obtained the rights to the church. Okay, let's, let's think about this. If I've got poison in my body and I take the anti-venom, does it work? instantly throughout my entire body? No, it does not. It has to wait for the same processes that happen in causing death to happen as the heart pumped the blood and caused death, now the heart has to pump the blood and cause life. Y'all don't want to help me today. You want an instant fix. You say, I believe in Jesus. You say, I know I got delivered. But baby, we need that same process that caused death. We need the same frustration that caused death. We need the same loneliness that caused death. We need the same anger that caused death. The same abuse that caused death. We need it now that anger to cause life now that loneliness to bring life now that abuse to bring life it's felt right in front of us the same way that death traveled in your members is the same way that when confronted now life has to come through the last time you were angry you sinned now be angry and sin not the last time somebody broke your heart, it was a trigger. Now be triggered and don't even respond. But rather push, push more life. That's why I say how you answer the question when God says you are wrong will determine whether you have received that blood of Christ. It will determine whether you've received the blood of the Lamb. So when you call me by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, Pastor, am I wrong? And I begin to use words of the Spirit of God that begin to push that anti-venom right to the part of your heart that needs it to most. I start identifying by the Spirit of God where your anger is, where your real frustration is and I say to you what's wrong baby it's just this uh uh what's wrong baby it's just my ankle uh uh what's wrong and let's get life to that area so the next time that you're presented with blood going through this area it produces life next time you're angry the next time you have a flashback, 
the next time somebody triggers you, the next time you wanted to give up, now more life. Y'all not. Woo. Okay, I'm going to try to finish. Okay. He says, dear shepherds, you're responsible to pay attention to the flock. Now, sometimes I have friends and family that try to encourage me and they mean well. They say, they say Tab, don't call me Tab, okay? All right. <laughs> so friends and family, really, really just family. Um, you know that you're going to do so much. It's your responsibility to look after the church. It's not your responsibility to look after each person's life. And I have to tell them, that's not accurate. According to the scriptures, I have to watch for your soul as one who has to give an account unto God for what took place. This is how megachurch got off. Because pastors, if you want a church that big, needs to have more pastors on staff that are watching for the souls of these thousands. Because one preached word is not sufficient. Oh, I wish somebody could help me. One preached word is not sufficient. Come on, I need somebody that's been there. One preached sermon is not sufficient to pump that life. Some people have been bit. And it's an area that is dying and we need immediate attention. We don't need a general word that we have to pull out what we need. We need a doctor to say, where did he bite you? That's where we, that's where we start. Where did he bite you? That's where we start. Where does it hurt? Uh-huh. But then where does it hurt? Uh-huh. Okay, but we're going to put it in your foot. <laughs> there are people out here in our world that have been bitten injured not only was the the blood that was the life that they had not real life when they came to Christ he still got bit how does this happen I'm a Christian I'm a believer look to the cross somebody has to say dear believer look to the cross y'all don't want to help me today dear saint look to the cross receive the blood of Christ the blood cells are renewed, all of them, every 120 days. But every 10 seconds, almost 2 million blood cells, new blood cells, are produced in your body. This is telling you that the blood never needs to lose its power, but it has to be renewed and refreshed every day. You can't have the old blood from 120 days ago still trying to heal a new wound. You got to go back to the altar and you need to say, Lord, here am I. Lord, here am I. I believe in the power of your blood. I believe in the coming Savior. I believe in Christ that has redeemed me. Now heal. Heal me before this thing spreads all over my life. Heal me before this thing gets into my children. Heal me. 
Heal me before it starts showing up. Heal me before things start dying. Heal me. And I'm not too prideful to call myself a Christian and say that I don't need it. Oh, I need it. I need thee every hour. Book of Acts. They're indicating that the church of God was obtained with his own blood. Just as venom is processed out of you with the induction of anti-venom through the processes that circulated the toxin, the same processes are going to circulate the truth, the life, the light. And it'll happen through you individually over time, more and more areas of your life being healed, provided that you don't keep playing with serpents. Okay, nevertheless, all right. Right? Now look at the body of Christ as a whole. Look at the body of Christ as a whole. He says, that church I bought with my blood. Yeah. The entire idea of mankind is trying to determine where is the body of Christ. <coughs> Producing the body of Christ. The only way for anyone to identify that they have the blood of Christ is that they have to be willing to do the will of the Father under every type of situation, every duress, every problem, every issue, that they not only see the plan of the Father, but they are willing to be obedient even unto death because now you're willing to say to the toxin, you can get the heck out of here because new life is flowing. If I perish, let me perish. To process out a toxin that is killing, it's going to be easily seen as a war. Where those that remain are those that have life, and those that don't remain are those that are death. The body of Christ is, is producing sons and daughters, but it's also revealing to the entire creation who Christ purchased. All these men, they're going to come up here killing Abel. They, they Abel killing folk. Mm -mm. Hold up now. Because Abel's blood cried out for revenge. But if you listen to what Christ's blood speaks, y'all don't want to help me today. Abel's blood speaks revenge. Revenge us. Be just. Now God can be just and the justifier of whomever he will. Y'all don't want to help me today. He's just and he can be the justifier of whoever he wants to be the justifier of. If he say they clean, they clean. And who going to check him, boo? Nobody. 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 Ain't nobody strong enough to do that. And he didn't do it sly. He didn't do it like, you seeing? Shh, shh, shh. Believe in Jesus. Hey, get in there, get in there, get up. 
Ain't they, what, 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 where they seen at? You don't know. It wasn't sneaky. It wasn't sly. It wasn't back door. It was bold and open. It says, my blood cries out mercy. The blood of Christ says mercy, mercy, mercy. Listen to what he said. Forgive them for they know not what they do. As his blood dripped from his side. Forgive them for they know not what they do. His blood cries out mercy. To all that will come. To all that will come. Now we know when new life is in you. We know when the blood of Christ, which is life, has truly been taken in by you. Because when you approach situations that most would die in, that most would sin in, that most would backslide in, you walk right through that fire. You walk right out of that lion's den. You walk on top of that water. You've got some type of anti-venom that under most circumstances people are dying, but you have somehow found life. You have somehow found a garden. You have somehow reached your promised land. Right here, right here. It's easy for us to know who's received the blood of the lamb because rough situations produce more life and growth in you than death and disease. As your fellow brethren, ministers, mothers, pastors, there's only so much we could do. We can only encourage you to stay strong. We can only encourage you to, to remain faithful. But at the end of the day, if Christ's blood is not flowing in your veins, the threat of death will cause you to quit. The threat of pain will cause you to back up. Another loss, another problem, another issue, another thing I can't have, another thing I can't do, another thing that don't go right, another person that don't love me, another thing that's not mine, all of that produces death in you when it's supposed to produce life and the only thing we as ministers of the gospel can say is you need the blood of the lamb this mystical relationship this mysterious relationship between the blood flowing in your body and the life of your soul you need the blood of the lamb some new cellular structure that tells you, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And all the dead things that were attached to me either come to life or fall off. But the blood of Christ is coursing through my veins. You don't have to tell a, a live person to breathe. They just breathe. You don't have to ask a live person, can you take a breath? Should I take a breath? Should I not breathe? They just breathe. You ain't got to teach them to breathe. You ain't got to show him how to breathe. You ain't got to hold it in. Now in your lungs, like a lung, you got to, no, 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 no. We don't have to dissect 10 step programs. We don't need 20 steps. We don't need to psychoanalyze your past. You don't need to tell a live person how to live. The fact that you need all this extra is just what we're trying to do to calm you 
so we can give you this shot of anti-venom. Like a little baby wrestling before they get their shot. I don't want it. Calm down now. Calm down. Calm down, little baby. Calm down. Come on to this meeting. Come on, let's, let's go through these processes. Come on, let's talk about it. Come on, come on, let's, 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 let's evaluate why you can't, you can't seem to stop sinning. Let's get down to the root of the issue. These are all done to calm you so we can jab this needle right in your <laughs> and get that anti-venom flowing right in your veins. But new life is not given to you from your willpower. You have willpower because of that new life. The question is, have you received the blood of Jesus? There are four major things that the blood of Jesus does. And I'm going to look at these four things in the scriptures that accompany them. The blood of Jesus provides the propitiation. Propitiation, pro, pitiation. Which is another way of saying it removes God's wrath. <clears throat> the blood of Christ removes the wrath of God. It says, We are your seeds and not the seeds of Cain, but the seeds of faith, like Abel. The blood of Christ. Provides justification. Just if occasion. <laughs> Which is another way of saying it extends God's full acceptance. I love these versus some of the other churchy words we use. Because that's really the problem. Justification says, you're going to know that God fully accepts you. Your quirks, your nuances, the way your heart does things, the good stuff, right? The way you think about stuff, how you're so meticulous, you know, the good stuff. He says, I accept that part of you. I was practicing on the golf course the other day. An old man that has a really great game. Apparently, he had been watching me for a couple of weeks or whatever, and he says, you're getting good. He said, your swing is looking better. And I said, well, thanks. I've been working on it. He says, yeah, you can tell. He said, let me guess. You're not one that likes to fail at anything. I said, absolutely not. So you must be the kind of person that you don't like to fail at stuff. I don't. He said, you're determined, aren't you? I said, very. He said, that's why you're going to get good. And I began to think, 
How many times my determined stubbornness, how many times my desire to not fail, A-type personality, perfectionist. I began to evaluate how many times those things I felt got in the way of me being more like Christ. And then I recognized that through the blood of the lamb, God fully accepts, y'all don't want to help me, and he will take my stubbornness and make it endurance. He'll take my perfectionism and make it a desire to be good. Y'all don't want to help Now, he justifies it. He says, no, that's good in my kingdom. When everybody else says, that don't belong. He says, no, it belongs. And let me show you how. And then you start seeing how you are an intricate piece of the body of Christ, constantly moving because your specific personality traits and specific past have been intricately woven to make sure that the body of Christ has exactly what you offer as a tiny little cell moving and supplying what you can. God's full acceptance. The blood of Christ says you've been fully accepted, not partly. Not only when you do good, but I'll keep working in you, even when you do bad. The blood of Christ brings us redemption. Redemption is the purchase of our true freedom. The wages of sin is death. Redemption purchases life. Christ's blood satisfies the wages that are necessary to free a slave from sin and death. Purchase your freedom. Satan says, no, they got, that, they got my blood in them. They do my will. They satisfy me. Then you receive the blood of Christ, and all of a sudden that blood is running through you, and immediately Christ says, uh-uh. They're mine. Now he'll say, no, I just made them sin last week. And Christ will say, but I made them go to church on Sunday. <laughs> and we're going to keep going at this to see who's going to win. Now you already know who's going to win. He just needs you to be willing. Just be willing. That's it. That's your whole shebang. I want you to heal me. I want to be better. I want you to save me. I want to do your will. Just do that much. And everything starts working. All right. And the last one. The blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, brings forgiveness. Another way of saying that is to restore peace. I love that definition of forgiveness. It takes it from the legalness, like redemption, and it puts it in a real emotional term. It says that when it comes to sin, you don't have peace with God. You don't have peace with yourself, and you surely don't have peace with others. 
So forgiveness by the blood of Christ allows you to have peace with God. Come on and check it. Peace within yourself and peace with others. Similar to a baby crying out in a temper tantrum. Your high levels of how easily you are offended often points to what type of poison you done took in. You may not tell me, but I can see the ease of your agitation. How simple it is for you to get angry, mad, want to give up. And I'll go, what did you do? What did you eat? Who did you listen to? What is this, this new thing floating in your body? Because you are too easily brought to your end when life is pulsing through you. To have peace with God is forgiveness. It says, me and you, we are no longer at odds. We are working together. And that feels amazing. To have peace with yourself says, this is me. And all my goodness, this is me. Yep, I got a weird toe, but it's mine. And it's me. And God loves it. And somebody gonna love this weird toe. So if though fact though, I'm excited. And then forgiveness gives you peace with others. The reason I can tell that you've, you've really taken in some poison as a believer is because you don't know how to establish peace with somebody else. So I have to say, apologize. Say you're sorry. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, and I know you'll feel better. And I'm sure he was looking at me if he could see me and said, how? Does she think that me apologizing for something I don't even think I did wrong is actually going to make me feel better? It's going to make me feel worse. No, it won't. You know how I know? Because the blood of Christ flows through your veins. That means you like peace. And right now, this thing has given you no peace. It doesn't matter who did it. It doesn't matter who caused it. It is now in you. How's it in me? Oh, look at you. <laughs> Foaming at the mouth. Look at you. <laughs> it, you took this in. This one, oh, I saw a terrible thing over there. That wasn't that. No, I had a terrible thing. It is in you. And now you have no peace. And so I said, but you have the blood of Christ flowing in you. You want peace. Now I know you're saying to yourself, now stabbing me with this needle. It's going to make me feel worse. But what it's really doing is taking the blood of Christ to the place you need it the most. That's where you need it the most. And true enough, he texted me and said, I do feel better. I knew it. Because the children of God enjoy peace. They enjoy it. The children of Satan they can't handle quiet. They can't handle calm. Something's always got to be wrong. Something's always got not to be right. Joseph of God's like, what's going on? Nothing. Ain't that nice? Nice. 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 The children of God get mad. I'm always like a doormat. I always got to say I'm sorry, but then they realize 
I might as well, because I don't like how I feel. I'm sorry. I just want to have peace. I don't want to be upset. Whatever it is, I'm sorry. I could have did better. My bad. I didn't notice it. I could see that. Are we cool? Now, back in the day when you were high schoolers, they used to make you feel like a punk for doing that. Now, as a believer, you should recognize that this brings you peace. I'm apologizing to you, not just for you, for me. I'm calming you down for me. I want our relationship to be better for me. Get to the root of it. I don't like the fact that you don't like me when we used to like fool up with each other. I want peace. What's so hard? Y'all bringing high school drama into the body of Christ. It's a whole new level. I ain't going to fool up with none of them. What? You better take this blood of Christ and go sit down somewhere. (laughs) And if we let that stay, then how much more of you is going to be poisoned? You've seen how that same thought brought so much more toxicity to your life. So when somebody says, make peace, every person that joined this church pretty much since this year has been saying, now they're going to get on your nerves, but they are going to make it right because they have the blood of Christ and they like peace. You sure want to see anybody in turmoil, let alone yourself. And if just a little empathy could make somebody else feel less turbulent, then why not give it? Like sometimes you can really see that that person is far more upset than you. But rather use the strength of you not being so upset, you make them hunger for peace. Look at him all mad. That's what he get. Look at her all mad. Uh-uh, that's what she get. And you know that you're, it's not really affecting you. You can simply say, hey, 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 I'm sorry. Calm down. Why don't you do that? <laughs> Is your pride so great? Do you not remember how small little problems when you were going through, put your whole soul in turmoil, tossed everything up, and you standing here barely affected now have the ability to extend that to somebody else so they can focus on what's really bothering them and not this petty little thing, but you rather point out that they're petty than offer grace. Somebody's got to say, Pastor, am I being petty? Yes, baby, but it's okay. You're human. Instantly. All my babies calm down. I am human. Mm -hmm. So even if it is petty, it happens sometimes. Yes, it does. And that's all right. Now, I need you to go apologize. (laughs) These are true indicators on a one-to-one basis of how the body of Christ is intended to function. Do you understand? Where offenses amongst sheep are brought to leadership. 
when necessary. And then we inject anti-venom. And you take that anti-venom and you go on back out there with the rest of the cells and you make that stuff work. But if you're the type of cell that notices that something in you is deformed, some blood cell that's supposed to be concaved is no longer concaved and it is hard for you to move throughout the body of Christ, always too big for this, too loud for that, too not nice for this, too, are you always stuck? Uh, maybe we should evaluate this. Because a cell that holds on to deformity multiplies and it becomes cancer within the body. That's why the scriptures say, and you, the leaders, watch. Check every blood cell. Beep, 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 beep. Mm-hmm. Beep, 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 beep. Mm-hmm. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. Do we throw it out? No. We reform it. We regenerate it by the blood of Christ. Then you can go beep, 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 beep. I love it when everybody goes beep, 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 oh, the whole body just beep, 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 oh, this is good. What you gonna do, play golf? Because everybody's beeping, it's a great day. <laughs> I love it when everybody's beeping. I call it all my babies are contented. They are fed and contented. And anyone that's not, I'm looking for you. Because Christ is, do you understand? He doesn't want you discontented uneasy, struggling to fit through the basics of life in Christianity. He wants you in a good flow. Amen? I know we gotta go. Not too bad. Okay. Write these scriptures down. Hebrews 10, 4 through 10. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin and pleasures, in sacrifices and sin and offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. The blood of goats and sheep could not really take away the sins. And then Christ says, but behold, you, God, prepared a body for me. And I say, I will do your will. Now, the life of Christ in this physical body, the life of Christ in a physical body was 100% every day obedient to God. If we took a sample of his
his blood, we would find a whole bunch of goodness, a whole bunch of greatness, a whole bunch of obedience. His blood would tell a life that we have not seen before. All his cells would be so regenerative because he'd be so healthy and doing the will of God. That he is so full of faith of who God is and why he is here that he will even walk into death without a problem. Knowing the plan of God and being obedient to the fullest. And he says, now this blood, let that be in you. Let the blood of obedience to the Father be in you. Do you recognize what a miraculous blessing it is that the blood of the most obedient person, Jesus himself, what a blessing and a miracle that the being who was on earth that was the utmost obedient could say, now let this blood, let it be in you. He's telling you when you believe in him, you have every means for godliness. There is no sin that you cannot resist. There is no lie you have to tell. There is no money you have to steal. There is no liquor you have to drink, no weed you have to smoke, no person you have to have sex with. None. Not one. Because the power of blood that is flowing through you is his. It's his. This is how you see martyrs in the Bible. And even to this day, when under great duress and pressure, they just simply say, I will not bow. I will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. And they can approach it with such faithfulness and obedience. Like, what can you do to me? Nothing. Do you know how much of the body, the blood of Christ has to flow? For you to be willing to walk up to death itself and remain firm. Remain established. You all will face that unless the rapture comes. Where the blood of Christ had to be so regenerative within your life that even the fear of no life no longer threatens you. But you've seen example after example after example of how the blood of Christ has produced life in you when it would have produced death in everybody else. Take a second. Get yourself together. On your insides. As you get yourself together on the insides, I just see it on your outsides. You ready? No? No, I didn't hear enough. Okay, I'll wait. You ready? Okay. It's that simple. Now, if you're faking ready, you missed your opportunity. 
But if you actually got ready, that's exactly what we're talking about. Something that's caused you dis-ease, that you can say the blood of Christ will come and heal that dis-ease. You can direct it. You can increase it through blood flow <laughs> to get there. Boop, 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 boop. Go. Christ said, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. He shows the propitiation, the removing of wrath that was done by Christ's blood. They didn't do your will. I've come to do your will. Look at, the hum look at all of humanity. Everybody under the creation is doing what they were supposed to do. Trees is treeing, rocks is rocking. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to do but us. And the only reason he didn't wipe us out is because he actually loves us. And he's giving an opportunity for the anti-venom of his son to flow through his people, separating those that do not want to do the will of God from those that do want to do the will of God. Can you see that, dear loved ones? Can you see how perpetual sin will show and prove to you that you have not received the blood of the lamb because every person that partakes of the blood of Christ has partaken of the ability and power by the spirit of God to do the will of God. It's that simple. No confusion about it. It's a gift. Where was I? <laughs> Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. I'll skip down a little bit, somewhere around 22. For there is no distinction for all who have sinned, have fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That was, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This verse speaks to the heart of Cain's. It says, look, he's always wanted you. He's always prepared a way for you to be his always 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 this is huge so when Cain says how are you gonna be mad at me at the fact that I fall into sin when you made me this way he says and I also made a way that you and I might you might be with me that we might have peace that my wrath will be a sage that I might become that you and I can come into fellowship that I can cover and forgive all your sins that you can be made new and have the life I originally intended for you yes. it says to those that will call God unrighteous that he is righteous because that's the real issue. Why does God let 
bad things happen to good people? That's the real question. Why, when I'm trying to do my best, does God let this happen? Because God is not afraid of problems. Because when new life is flowing in your body, problems produce life. Death causes life. So you could say, why is he letting this happen to me? But if you have the blood of Christ, you can say, I know my redeemer lives. And new life is going to come from this. New life is going to come from this. New life will come from this. Even this. Somebody needs to say, even this. Say it with your chest, even this. You ain't afraid of bad things happening. It ain't none of us good. But that doesn't make him go, oh, I prepared something for you. That when crap happens to your life, your heart and your mind, I gave you new blood. And that will start regenerating new life. And every born-again believer sees how God took a bunch of mess and worked it for our good. Took a terrible testimony, a period of shame, guilt, and brought you made, you, 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 you made life out of that. Out of the abuse, out of the loss, out of the addiction. How? Nothing. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. How did you bring life from my addiction? It should have killed me. It didn't kill me. And it's bringing life to others. How did you bring life from my depression? It should have killed me. But it's bringing me life and bringing life to others. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. So now we can say, oh, he's righteous. Because he gave us his son. Before our condition showed up. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. How righteous is that? The Bible says, because a good man would scarcely give his life for a good man, let alone a sinner. But Christ saw us as sinners, as deviants from the will of God, and said, I'll go. I'll give of my life. Romans 5, 9 through 11. When you just write it in your notes, Romans 5, 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now, we're going to have to go, I'm not going to get through all this, have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him through the wrath from the wrath of God. We have now been justified. Are you guys seeing the connection in these verses to the points that I gave you? Very good. We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, there was a verse I was just saying. <laughs> we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And all wisdom and insight 
making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Ephesians says, with this blood of Christ, it provides for us a redemption where we could see the plan of God. While the rest of the Cain-like hearts are out there crying, God is unjust, too many bad things happen in the world, we can say, but he's always had a plan. And he's including us in that plan. That's powerful. That's powerful. That's a big deal. Last one, and then we can go home. This is the one I want you to keep and meditate on for the rest of the week. It's Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. I'm going to skip through this chapter and highlight a couple of verses. But if you want to say, you know, God, I want something to read in the Bible, here it is. <laughs> I, need, I want a book, here it is. I need like a devotional, here it is. Okay, for the week, you have something to read. You read it in the morning, you can read it for lunch, and you can read it before you go to bed. You got something to read. 22 verses to read. You can read 22 verses every day. And I assure you, if you read these 22 verses between now and Sunday, you will find something new in it every day. Because it's 22 verses. <laughs> Verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. In which, you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that, those couple of verses, those last few verses for those that are wanting to really meditate, five and six are huge. It tells us and shows us the past, present, and future. It shows us why we're saying was saved, are being saved, and shall be saved. It shows us that in the present day, Christ died before the present day. And it shows us how we are seated already in heavenly places, and we haven't even got to that portion. I love these verses. It shows the eternality of God and his plan. It picks up stuff from the past, before the first day even started. Then it says presently how you are handling and being affected by the blood of the lamb. And then it tells you that you 
future tense are already seated in those places because of this present situation and the past situation before you got here. He says, all of this was done out of his love for you. That was it. You weren't that wonderful. He just loved you. See, it's only a real dad can love you with all your little spankiness. But that's my baby. Right? All right. Go to the next verse. Let's skip over to verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the what? Blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace and who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Stop right there. These verses are, are, I mean, hitting the nail on the head. It's saying that the blood of Christ has made you no longer distant from God. Where you had to stay outside of the temple of God. That you could know that he existed, but you could not fellowship with him. You couldn't have a friendship or a relationship with him. You couldn't talk to him. You couldn't ask of advice. You couldn't ask of counsel or blessings. You just had to hope that somehow you benefited from whatever it was he was doing. Yeah. Says, but the blood of Christ has brought those that are far off in. In. And then he says, not only are you in, who were out, but there used to be a dividing wall between brethren. Y'all don't want to help me. Between Cain and Abel, there used to be some type of animosity, a wall of hostility. And he said, in the with the blood of Christ, he removed the wall of hostility between you and the other. Y'all don't want to, y'all, you need to act like you love Jesus today. I cannot tell you how many countless times I've noticed that the blood of Christ removed hostility between me and another brethren. Not my will or my desire, but I saw the work of Jesus. And now all of a sudden I look over and I don't see the thing that divides us, but I see my brother. To remove the wall says you no longer see the thing, the offense or the problem that caused you so much pain or anger, now you see your brother. That's a big deal. He brought peace with us and him, and then peace one to another. The issue is that you cannot see your brother. Because you can't. Because when I tell you to apologize, what for? You don't understand what they did. You weren't there. You don't know how bad it hurt. And you want to go through this whole story about how bad it hurt and how angry you were. And as your brother and pastor, I also go, I understand. Yes, so sorry, so terrible. Now, let's, let's look at them for a second. And you're offended because you did not receive the blood of Christ. Because as soon as I show you your brother, for believers, 
your heart goes out to them every time. I say, but you really don't understand what they're going through. And even though you're so angry and you're so mad, you'd be like, oh, I can see how they're going through a lot. You know, I ain't going to say nothing, you know. And when you see the person, you'd be all loving. Hey. <laughs> the blood of Christ removes the wall of hostility in the household of faith. It told those who are outside to come inside, and you can come inside, and those that are inside to no longer have hostility between one another. Not to see the offense that the person caused you, but to see your brother or your sister. And if you have been accepted with all of your shortcomings by Christ, is it possible that the blood of Christ could be so powerful that you could accept your brethren with all of their noticeable flaws by you. Like, oh, no, y'all, that's just what they always do. Oh, I'm glad you noticed that. But they always doing this. Mm. Look at you. So good at observing what people do wrong. That's the easy part. Can you accept them when you recognize all of the wrong that they have the proclivity to do consistently. The only way we could do that is we've seen the blood of Christ work its way through our veins in the areas of our life, and we go, he gonna, he gonna, the Lord going to get to that. Till then, I love you as if it's already done because that's how Christ loves you, as if it's already done. Those saints made righteous, made perfect. Where was I? Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Between you, who's been delivered from that, and the person on the other side who hasn't. Between you, who know better, and the other person in, your, in the church that doesn't know better. He removed that hostility between you who's been delivered from manipulation and now you can so easily notice it in somebody else but is that producing hostility or compassion because if it's still producing hostility you ain't that much delivered because the bible says restore one with gentleness lest you fall The Lord getting y'all together today, boy. I tell you, get y'all together. Ah. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, what? One new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is specifically regarding the, the, the debate and the division between the Gentiles and the Jews. People that were always right, walking up right with God, at least trying to, and those that never, never did, don't even know, don't even understand, weren't even raised in that. Because y'all got some animosity. The Gentiles probably think you're too self-righteous and know it all. And, you, and, the, and the Jews probably look at them, so y'all so loosey-goosey with your faith. 
You're so contemporary. You know how y'all do. They're so not holy. Them over there. You know, I don't even do that stuff no more because God is holy. Be that holy, you know. And so there's, there's the vision. And so let's just bring it all together as one. Hmm? Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. Stop. Christ came and made sure he preached peace to the household of faith and made sure he went outside the household of faith and sent word and peace out there that all might be brought in as one body in him. Yes? For though, <laughs> for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's powerful. That's the end of the lesson. But that's powerful. He's saying, as look how, look how sovereign and powerful. He just does so much. He's multitasker beyond measure, okay? I'm going to bring the whole body of Christ in. Provide the solution to this toxicity of sin, the anti-venom. Bring them all in, no division, and each one I'm going to build them to the fullness of what God intended. And then, while I'm simultaneously doing that, I'm going to build in you a temple that the Holy Spirit can dwell in. As you, you're standing over the place. As you are allowing the spirit of God to make you a dwelling place, the body of Christ grows. The more of you that Christ's blood begins to correct, cleanse, purify, heal, and restore, the more the entire body of Christ Grows. Mm. 